Dr. C here. Before we begin, I'd like to make sure that you're aware that this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp.com. BetterHelp is a leading provider of online therapy, and they provide video, phone, or live chat sessions with a licensed professional therapist. It's affordable, and you can connect with your therapist within 48 hours. Now, as a special offer to our surviving narcissism listeners, they'll offer a 10% discount for your first month of professional therapy. All you have to do is go to betterhelp.com, that's betterhelp.com slash surviving narcissism podcast. I know that many of you would find online therapy to be quite life-changing, and so go to betterhelp.com slash surviving narcissism podcast, and many thanks to the people at BetterHelp for sponsoring our podcast. Thanks for joining us for a brand new season of the Surviving Narcissism podcast with your host, Dr. Les Carter. I'm Michaela, the program director, and in today's episode, Dr. Carter will discuss a narcissist's profound insecurity. Well, hey there, Team Healthy. I'm sure pleased to be back with you in our next season of the Surviving Narcissism podcast. You know, I took a little bit of a summer break, so we're back in the saddle now, and we're going to be talking about all sorts of things of interest to you relative to the whole subject of narcissism and specifically surviving your encounters with those individuals. Today, I want to do something a little bit different than what I've done in the past, and that is I'm going to be talking with you about a narcissist's profound sense of insecurity. But the way I want to address this is I want to play off of some of the questions that you've sent me through the last few weeks about uh, this very topic. Uh, You know that on my YouTube channel, I received lots of questions and I received questions here on the podcast as well. And I, I have a Uh, a live feed every Wednesday that I do where I answer questions, but I just can't get to them all. So today I thought, well, uh, what what I'm going to do is I'm going to take some of the questions and we're going to dive deeply into this subject of uh, a narcissist's immaturity. And I I, I think it's going to be so essential for you to understand what you're dealing with when you engage with that narcissist. These are not healthy individuals. These are people who are carrying a great deal of emotional baggage, but one of the things they've decided is they don't want you to know. (laughs) Uh, They they want to try to give the pretense that they know things more than you and they've got uh, life figured out, when in fact there's a great deal of confusion on the inside. Now, the first question I'm going to um, uh, respond to because it just takes us right into this topic Somebody asked me the question, Dr. C, what's the difference between emotional immaturity and narcissism? And and then uh, this person goes on to say, I recently read a description of emotional immaturity, and it sure sounds a lot like NBD. Well, let's just start with that question. When you take a look at the core ingredients of narcissism, I want you to just kind of think about each one of them individually. And I want you to think, does this sound like something that a balanced mature individual would think or do. For example, one of the first characteristics that that is at the top of the list of defining narcissism is raw selfishness. Narcissists are all about me. And one of the things we can say when we uh, look back upon little children and we say the child is maturing, let's say it's a four-year-old or a five-year-old or an eight-year-old, and they actually do something for someone else 
and they, they show kindness just out of their own initiative, we adults will look at that child and say, well, it looks like you're maturing. looks like something, little Johnny or little Jane is growing up. When we talk about the maturation process, one of the core ingredients is you learn how to uh, consider your life in the context of other individuals. Narcissists are too immature to do that because they're still stuck in that very early on uh, juvenile way of thinking, it's all about me. Or another core ingredient of narcissism is the need to be in control of other individuals. All right, let's pause on that. Does that sound like something that a mature individual would do? The narcissist has such a low opinion of oneself, they have such a low opinion of you that they've decided the best way to feel secure and adequate is to call the shots and to tell everybody what they're supposed to do. And so rather than saying, well, why don't you just go ahead and be you and you follow your preferences and your ideas Instead, it's like, well, I'm not sure that's going to work out real well for me. I'm not sure I'm going to get what I want. And so why don't I just tell you what to do? And their need for control illustrates their immaturity. Or just right on the heels of that, we can say that narcissists have no sense of empathy. In their immaturity, it's like, why would I care to know about you? You need to know about me, but why would I care about you? That's part of their immaturity. Or you can see that narcissists, one of the defining features, is that they really need to be in the superior position. And notice that I say they need to be. It's not like they just want to be. Yes, they do. But that's, that's, a, that's a requirement that they would even have, which means they're willing to put you in the inferior position to fulfill that requirement. Does that sound like a, superior, a, a, a mature kind of thing to do? In other words, they're going to build up their own ego by diminishing someone else that's immature. Or another defining feature of narcissism is they live behind the pretense of a false self. A long time ago, narcissists decided people can't be trusted. If I show who I really am and if I display the sum total of me with my pluses and my minuses, it's not going to work out very well. And so they concoct this front. They try to create an image that's going to be so favorable to them that they won't allow individuals to know their humanity, at least not at a very deep level. Again, that's a sign of an emotionally immature person. So we can go on and on and we can see that narcissists have a lack of of um, uh, community. It's all about oneself, and that's part of being the immature person that they are. Another person asked a question, and this goes right along with what we're saying here. Do narcissists need empathy? If they can't show it, is it because they don't need it? Thinking, uh, uh, thinking not because of what they are inside? So this person is asking, well, narcissists don't offer empathy. Do they want empathy? And this is another one of those nuanced indicators of their immaturity. Yes, they want empathy. They want you to see things from their vantage point. Empathy means that you're going to slow down and you're going to consider the thoughts and the feelings and needs of other individuals so that you can know them in a full way. You better believe it. they want empathy. They, they want you to, to tune into them in such a way that you will make them feel good. And there's one really, really strong indicator that they crave your empathy, and that is their anger. 
Notice how uh, narcissists can go into an irrational or stubborn or uh, unnatural form of anger. Why? Because you don't understand me. You don't know me very well. So let's suppose you say, I'm, say something really simple. I'm going to do this today and it's going to require me to uh, take these measures so that I can accomplish my goal. And the narcissist may think, well, that doesn't suit my desires. And so they become angry and they yell at you and they tell you that you're wrong. Or it may be that you'll say something like, well, I know you have an opinion over here. Mine is different. And I know we each have our reasons for thinking differently, but I just want you to know that perhaps we're not on the same page with respect to something. Once again, the anger that that can generate on the inside of the narcissist reveals their insecurity. Basically, the anger is their way of saying, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with your differentness. I don't know what you're going to do. If, if you are different from me, this may not bode well for me. I don't know if I can handle that. That's the mark of a deeply insecure person. Do you kind of pick up on the trends that we have here? These individuals can come across as implying that I really do know things well, and I'm, I'm kind of one of the smartest people in the room, or you just need to consult with me and I'll tell you what to do and your life is going to be a lot better. But beneath the surface is this hidden insecurity that they just can't completely cover up. All right, let's take another question. Uh, this person writes in, why, uh, Dr. C, why do I still love my narcissist ex-fiance? Well, okay, so here you have, let's just pause right there. You have a guy who uh, was engaged to be married to someone. Uh, I don't know how long that relationship was. Was it four weeks? Was it four years? We don't really know it, uh, but I don't know that it's terribly germane to the question. But he says, why do I st uh, still love my narcissistic ex-fiance? I know it was all a lie. She isn't capable of love. Now, I want you to ask, what would be the ultimate indicator that a person is truly psychologically mature? They've, they've got their act together. Well, I would venture to say that one of the, right there at the top of the list, one of the primary reasons or ways that you can know that a person uh, has a sense of maturity is they truly know and understand the nature of love. They see themselves as, as having the, the potential of being an uplifting presence in the life of someone else. There's a patience, there's a kindness, there's a decency that they bring to the equation. And it's just something that they want to offer, not because they're, they have hooks on the backside of it, but just simply because that's the way they're wired. That's the way they want to be. I, I did a video on my Surviving Narcissism uh, channel eh, probably a year, maybe even two years ago, and it was I, and I entitled it A New Way of Defining Narcissism, and uh, in that video, I described that the best way or one of the best ways you can defi define narcissism is it's the absence of love. Narcissists don't know how to love. Uh, they they uh, they they can know the uh, the ingredients kindness and all of that, but to to them you see being loved means being admired, and being adored and being given preferential treatment and they can go into the infatuation ooh this makes me feel good uh, kind of mindset which is why they're prone towards love bombing because they like the uh, the rush that goes along with. Uh, the touchy-feely kind of moments where there can be this chemistry that's there and all sorts of goodies that can go along with that. 
But a healthy individual realizes that love is so much more than just a feel-good experience in the moment, and it's certainly not something that's temporal, that fades once you get to know someone and you see all their quirks and ups and downs. Loving individuals know that you're going to get to know each other's difficult side. You're going to see each other's strengths and their weaknesses. There's going to be a certain vulnerability. And the narcissist is thinking, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> I didn't sign up for that part. They don't like the idea of being vulnerable. They want other individuals to stay inside the grooves as designated by the narcissist. And so if they want to engage in a loving kind of way, you can virtually guarantee that it's some sort of compensation for their feelings of inadequacy. They've got to be adored. They've got to be admired. And in the end, it's it's temporal since it's, uh, it's all uh, very conditional. It's based upon them assuming that you're giving them the supply that keeps them going, thinking, yep, I really am an extra special kind of person, and I'm going to get you to confirm that to me. And so this person says, you know, as I was engaged with this person, it became more and more obvious that this individual that I was with was living a lie. She couldn't be honest. She couldn't be open. And then whenever conflicts or strains and difficulties came in, I'm assuming that it didn't go well. And as a result, this fellow had to move on. The absence of love is uh, due to the immaturity of that individual, which is fed by the narcissism and all of the characteristics that goes along with that pattern. That's another way that we can see that these are individuals who have a profound insecurity. Let's go to another question. This person says, how do I deal with my narcissistic husband in situations where he will agree on doing something that's important to me, then not only does he not do it, he redesigns the agreement that we made to get what he wants and claims that I have to do things his way, even though this is something I never agreed to. All right, that's kind of a mouthful, wasn't it? So here you have a situation where this uh, this lady's husband uh, just is basically saying, yeah, I'll, I'll agree with you on certain kind of things. And then as time goes by, that individual, the narcissist, rewrites the script and they flip whatever needs or uh, preferences you have uh, to suit their own personal narrative. Now, th there's an element of dishonesty that that implies or just overlooking who the other individual is. Narcissists will agree to be you know, coordinated with you if it suits their purposes. In their insecurity, they constantly have this one guiding thought, and that is, what are you going to do for me? What's in it for me? Am I going to get whatever I want in this kind of situation? If so, we'll proceed. If not, then I'm going to discard you. And so you can see that their dishonesty or their short-term commitments are all so strongly driven by their attitude of entitlement and selfishness, the need to be in control, the need to be admired, etc., that whenever you do feel like you've got a possibility for coordination, no, the insecurity creeps right in and it takes them down a path that is not going to be beneficial to, to you or to them, frankly. And as a result, um, they they don't really have a sense of trustworthiness as they uh, say they're going to do something with you, like this uh, question uh, implies, uh, right down to the small details. It's like, well, 
what I'm going to do is I'm going to do whatever suits me in the moment. And so this lady asked the question, he'll agree to do something that's important to me, but then basically he rearranges the protocols. It's like, yeah, that's not the sign of a calm, confident, at peace person at all. That's the sign of somebody who has inner turmoil and that individual is pushing their inner turmoil onto you, more or less implying, if I can get you to uh, to amend the agreements that you and I make to make me feel better in the moment, then you and I have a relationship. That's not the mark of an emotionally mature person. I'd like for you to be aware of my video courses. One of them is entitled Free to Be, Finding Yourself Despite the Controllers in Your Life. Now, inside this course are various modules, and inside each module, it breaks down into various lessons with a video, teaching documents, and then also questions that go along with it. For example, inside Free to Be, you'll learn how controllers want to invite you into their games, but then you'll also learn about the seven principles of freedom, how to develop self-trust, and much more. Now, if you are interested in enrolling in the classes, you could go to our survivingnarcissism.tv website, click the link for courses, and you'll find that one and others. And I hope that you would find them to be quite therapeutic. And now back to Surviving Narcissism with Dr. Carter. You can see how this, this um um, element of immaturity can show up in so many different ways. Now, to uh, to take this notion of their immaturity a little bit further, let's go with another question that somebody has asked. This person says, Dr. C, can a person be a malignant narcissist if they have only one or a few targets? Or, or are malignant narcissists typically aggressive and also passive-aggressive with everyone? Well, that's an interesting question. Now, first, let's let's understand what a malignant narcissist is. And by the way, that was a term that was uh, coined by uh, one of my heroes in the field of psychology, Eric Fromm, F-R-O-M-M. And he, he defined mal the malignant narcissist as somebody who has uh, such a strong need for control and an attitude of superiority and entitlement and manipulation and exploitation to the extent that there's a, an extremely low regard for the person in front of them. They don't have much of a conscience. And people have actually asked me, is, the, is malignant narcissism, is that the same as sociopathy? Uh, and the answer, yeah, pretty much so. And psych, uh, the psychopathic uh, kind of tendency, yes, pretty much so. And so uh, this person says, can a, a person be a malignant narcissist, but they only seem to have one or maybe a few targets. And the interesting part there is uh, some, some malignant narcissists are just mean to everyone. Uh, but there are times when that malignant narcissist can think, well, I'll go ahead and be nice to these individuals over here and I'll seem to be cooperative with these folks over there because I think that they are not going to give me much uh, blowback. And so I, I think I can kind of keep them under my wing and make them do the things that I do. And it's not going to be that hard. But then if you're the kind of person that says, well, but I have a separate preference or I have a, a different interpretation, or the way that I approach projects, or the way that I handle my responsibilities is not the same as yours, the narcissist, the malignant narcissist in particular, is going to go straight into that hard, hard, grind you into the ground, I'll make you pay kind of mindset, 
again, uh, that, uh, that doesn't uh, bode well as it, uh, it doesn't describe a person who's coming from a real calm and secure way of life. When, when narcissists come across in this really intense form of anger, or maybe they play favorites with someone and then they, uh, they see you as being on their bad list. I could say it a lot uh, more ugly if I wanted to. And then they kind of use you for target practice. Uh, that's that's uh, certainly something that can be there. I've, I've uh, had some individuals who will say, is there such a thing as a covert malignant narcissist? And the answer is yes. Uh, we often think of the the overt uh, narcissist as being just leaving no uh, room for the imagination. Well, the covert malignant narcissist can at times uh, appear friendly and pleasant and coordinated. And, you know, they'll ask them, you know, how's your day and how's your son's soccer and, and how that project go? They can actually uh, be kind of nice until you say or do something that shows yourself to be a little too other. And then, boom, here comes the harshness. Here comes the meanness, and you're thinking, where in the world did this come from? And my answer to that is, well, it certainly didn't come from a place of inner security. These individuals, the malignants, are so willing to inflict pain on you. Why? Because they carry a great deal of unfinished pain on the inside of themselves, and they have not learned how to come to terms with that in the least. And as a result, uh, we, we have a term for this. It's called displacement. They will displace, they will push their hidden agenda onto you with no particular qualms as to how it might make you feel in the long run. And so even the malignant narcissists who can come across as uh, as just impervious to pain and they can come across as you know ultimately uh, strongly confident, not at all. Uh, the um, uh, That person... Uh, it seems to think that if you show any form of vulnerability, then that means you're a nobody. And of course, we all have our moments where you know, our weaknesses are going to be there. And that malignant narcissist decided a long time ago, I am so going to bury my own inner pain. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to push all of that pain onto you in front of me that they, they can't even access what's really going on inside. And they certainly are not going to be honest with you about the turmoil that's on the inside of themselves because they can't be honest with themselves. And again, that's another sign of the pervasiveness and the profoundness of their insecurity. Now, how about another question? And this is another way that narcissists can show their insecurity. This person says, what should I do if... Uh, if I was smeared by a narcissist years ago, and now uh, I still want them to take accountability by explaining why they smeared me, and I want them to apologize. Well, okay, let's just pause right there. So here we have somebody who, uh, I don't know if this was a, a family member or someone they were married to or someone in an office setting or a social setting, but apparently this individual uh, was uh, was on the receiving end of a of a lot of negative uh, publicity, if you will, at the hand of the narcissist. You've heard the old saying that when a narcissist realizes they can't control you, then the next best thing for them is to try to control how other people think about you. And so if you start becoming a little bit too different or too other, then it's like, well, okay, we're going to just take it to the streets and I'm going to let everybody know how awful of a human being you are. Pause right there. Does that sound like somebody who has their act together? 
Absolutely not at all. You'll notice that healthy and secure individuals will take ownership of some of their uh, their issues or needs or pains. The narcissist, in this case, the one who's using the smear campaign, is thinking, I don't need to do that. What I need to do is I need to create an environment where I control the narrative. And in this case, when a, a smear campaign is part of it, what they're doing is they're thinking, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take my issues public, and then I'll try to convince the people that are in my public that I'm a really nice person who was victimized by somebody who didn't act well, and and then I'm, I'm going to get their sympathy, and I'm going to get them to, to be on my side, and that's how I'm now a successful, and I'm a well-liked and, and a confident person. And so when a person goes into that hard smear campaign, that's their way of just screaming, I'm not comfortable enough to deal with another individual's humanity, so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to tear them down. And in the process, I hope you forget that I have my problems too. You know, they, they don't want that to be a part of the equation. So that's yet another way that narcissists illustrate their insecurity. Now, let me give you one last one. Uh, this person asked, another person asked the question, can someone be both narcissistic and codependent. Now, and then the answer is yes, the short answer. Uh, when we typically think of somebody who has a dependency issue, we uh, we often think of them that person sniveling up to someone else saying, please, please, would you tell me what to do? Or would you solve my problem for me? Or are you going to make me feel okay today? And we often think of that individual as the uh, the overt weakling. And I, I want us to see if we can get away from that stereotype. When we refer to dependency and then codependency, we, we first are talking about an individual having such a reactive approach towards people and events and circumstances that they're not drawing from an inner sense of well-being. Uh, they're, they're so inclined to react to whatever's in front of them that they don't take healthy, independent uh, uh, decision-making in such a way where they show that they have truly done the, the, the home, their own homework about what it means to be a healthy individual. And then when we add the term co on top of the word dependent, then co just simply means that they are very willing and inclined to enter into uh, a react, react form of communication. You're mad at me. My reaction is I'm I'm mad right there back at you. You tell me a lie, then I'm going to just uh, see if I can play the prosecuting role and I'm going to I'm not going to be terribly uh, honest myself or if uh, if you say or do something that's defensive, then I get defensive as well. And you can see that narcissists are highly highly inclined to jump right in to what I call the codependent dance. And so can someone be both a narcissist and a codependent? The answer is not all codependents would be described as narcissistic, but we can say that virtually all narcissists uh, have strong codependent characteristics. Maybe the uh, the exception would be that far extreme uh, malignant narcissist, but even then we can say that they're in such a reactive mode against the, uh, they have such a persecution process that that's uh, its own form of codependency. Um, when you're a calm individual, when you're a, a secure individual, rather than just being a hard, hard reactor to people and events in front of you, what you do is you slow down and you say, well, I'm going to take stock of who I am. Uh, 
I'm going to have a good, healthy game plan about the, the uh, positive characteristics that I'd like to bring to any relationship or circumstance. I'm going to live inside a well-conceived definition for healthy living. That's what secure people do. And, of course, you can see that uh, narcissists and their reactive codependency show none of that. So I ask all these questions, and these are questions that come directly from my audience. And by the way, I love fielding questions because it allows me, A, to know you better, and B, uh, it allows me to show you how the whole pattern of narcissism shows up in so many different ways based on what you yourself are living through. When you look at these various questions, you can see that narcissists will illustrate their immaturity in a very, very broad array of dysregulated behaviors and emotions and attitudes. You know, they're uh, strongly opinionated, which means they don't like you having your opinion. They're controlling, defensive, all of that I've said. Let's remind ourselves that when you're a secure person, you're committed to all sorts of other kinds of, of um, uh, patterns or ingredients that go into a pattern that I refer to as being on team healthy. There's a sense of uh, love that you bring to the equation. And you're able to have a sense of joy and pleasantness with other individuals. You find yourself uh, wanting to go into a place of peace and allowing others to experience peace with you. You have a certain amount of self-restraint. And there's a goodness and a decency and a kindness. And even when there is strain and difficulty, you can be the kind of person that says, well, I'd like to approach that in a constructive kind of way. That's what secure people do. And then when you make mistakes or when you are exposed as, uh, as somebody who uh, has uh, uncertainty or um, uh, miscalculations, what you can do is you can say, yeah, that's me. That's part of my humanity. And if you get to know me, you're going to find that I have a, a mixed bag of pluses and minuses. And uh, you can embrace all of your, your humanity, not just the portions that make you look adorable out there. Narcissists do virtually none of that. So I hope that this discussion today can, uh, can help educate you about the many, many different ways and scenarios that a narcissist's immaturity can play out because narcissists, rather than saying, hey, look, I've got this problem of immaturity and I need you to help me out. Well, no, they don't do that. What they'll do is they'll project all of their confusion onto you and they'll say, you are the confused person. You are the immature person. You are the one that uh, you're the one that's creating all the problems. Let's not play along with that game. Uh, that's that's them not being able to have good insight, and they're certainly not taking responsibility for themselves. Here on Team Healthy, we're going to say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, a mixed bag of pluses and minuses. And as we are able to work within ourselves, knowing that we have strengths and weaknesses, pluses and minuses, that's when we can find ourselves embracing the sum total of our humanity and it positions us to do that with other individuals. That's what secure people uh, are able to do. So I hope this gives you some good things to think about. And uh, just know, again, I'm back from the spring, uh, my summer break, so I'm uh, pleased to be back here with you. And uh, know that I'm going to be continuing in this new season to bring you more uh, discussions about all sorts of topics relative to this whole subject. Uh, as you have a good educated mind and knowledgeable mind, then that allows you to have a sense of, of purpose and direction, even as you engage with these individuals who are difficult. Keep learning. Keep leaning forward. And I will see you next time. Thank you, Team Healthy.
Thank you for listening. Surviving Narcissism is the product of many years of work done by Dr. Les Carter. Dr. Carter is a best-selling author and therapist with more than 40 years of experience, specializing in anger management and narcissistic personality disorder. You can find more content from Dr. Carter on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Surviving Narcissism, as well as on his website, survivingnarcissism.tv. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We are so glad to have you on Team Healthy.